open your Bibles to Psalm 86. In the Old Testament, Psalm 86. Those of you at the Franklin campus, welcome to you. Open your Bibles as well. Those of you in Perry, Oklahoma, open your Bibles. Let's look together at God's word. Speaking of Franklin, we have our church recreation day and Creek baptism coming up on August 7th. A little bit of change in the church recreation day. We've always had a big softball game. This year it's going to be campus versus campus. Woodburn campus versus Franklin campus. It's going to be awesome. I apologize to you guys in advance for how bad we're going to beat you. Uh, we love you. We love you. But, but we do want to see you go down on the softball field. I can't wait. Uh, now, I won't be playing personally uh, for one simple reason. We want to win. Uh, we want to win. And, uh, and I am not, not, not a player but, uh, but I'm excited, really, really excited about that day. Prairie, Oklahoma, y'all are scared to come out here and play softball with us. If you came, we'd beat you too. Uh, I don't know. We're kind of a lot of talk, um, but, but we'll have a good time. Psalm 86, a message entitled, Too Busy Not to Pray. Too Busy Not to Pray. Martin Luther, a famous Christian, once said that he had so much to do today that he spent the first three hours in prayer. Had so much to do in a day that he would spend the first three hours in prayer. That's interesting because that's, that's not necessarily how you and I think. We tend to think if we have a whole lot to do, we'll pray another day. But that's not how Martin Luther saw his life. And it's probably not the way we should see our lives. I mean, stop and think about it. If you have that much going on, if you're that important, so much to do, it seems like you would really feel the need for the Lord in your life. If you could look into my prayer life, and you can't, because that is one of the most private parts of, of all of us, one of the most private aspects of, of our lives. Uh, I do pray in public. You see me pray in public. I lead in prayer in public, but that's not really my prayer life. If you could look into my prayer life, you would know everything there is to know about my life life. Understand? And the same goes for you. If I could understand how you pray and listen to you pray, if I knew your habits in prayer, I would probably know everything there is to know about your life. And that's very staggering when you stop and think about that because many of us would say our prayer life is very, very thin, very thin. Let's take a look at the Psalms. The Psalms is indeed the worship book, the prayer book that you find in the Bible. It's full of prayers, and Psalm 86 is a prayer. And I want us to take a look at it this morning and learn some lessons about, uh, about praying. Uh, this is intended to be a practical message. I hope that at the end of this message, you will be ready and willing to invest more time and passion in your own prayer. Psalm 86, verse 1, it, it begins like this. Bend down, O Lord, and hear my prayer. Okay, stop right there. Stop right there. Because we're talking about prayer, and when we pray, we often, the first thing we do is say, let us pray, or let, let's bow our heads and, and pray, or, or, or sometimes even let's gather at the altar and, and let's, let's get on our knees and pray. But this starts different, and I didn't expect that. It starts by bowing, but who's bowing? Bend down, O Lord. I'm about to pray. Now that's really, I'm sorry y'all are standing, but I'm going to stop and preach for a minute. If your legs get tired, you can bow, okay, or, or you can bend, whatever you need to do. But stop and think about this. The prayer begins, Lord, you bow down, you bend down. What is that about? Why would God need to bend down? Out of reverence for me? Because that's why I bow down to him. I bow down to God out of reverence for him. Because he is great. Because I fear him. Because I revere him. Because I respect him. I bow in his presence. Well, well, Brother Tim, I don't really bow. I do a lot of my praying when I'm driving in the car. I'm just driving down the road talking to God. I'm glad you do that. 
But let me suggest one small thing for your prayer life. Sometime, pull over and park and get on your knees because he is a fearsome and awesome God that sometimes you ought to show a little reverence for. We bow before him because he is great and mighty, but the prayer begins, Lord, bend down to me, bow down to me. Why would God bow down when I pray? As pastor, one of my favorite things, one of the best parts about being a pastor is being a pastor to the children. I love the children of this church. I love them with all of my heart. I love some of them more than I love some of you, to to be honest. I love those kids. I love them. And it's wonderful at the end of the service, I'm out there talking to everybody. I'm up here talking to all the adults. And I have a child come up beside me and say, Brother Tim, little bitty voice, Brother Tim, Brother Tim. And I look down. So what's the first thing I do when, when when I need to speak to a child? Absolutely. I have to come down. Why do I come down to them? Because they can't be coming up to me. What's he going to do? Grow? What's he going to do? Jump? I come down because I have to come down. The only one who can bridge that distance between me and that child is the big one. You understand? And when you pray, there is a great distance between you and the Lord. And you cannot bridge that distance. You cannot grow. You cannot jump. You can't get up to him. When you pray, he bends down to you. Understand that? It's just a beautiful picture of how eager and willing God is to hear our prayers. Often more eager to hear our prayers than we are to pray. Would y'all like to get back to the scripture now? Psalm 86 verse 1. Bend down, O Lord, and hear my prayer. Answer me, for I need your help. Protect me, for I am devoted to you. Save me, for I serve you and trust you. You are my God. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I am calling on you constantly. The Hebrew says, I'm crying constantly. I'm crying to you constantly. Give me happiness, O Lord, for I give myself to you. O Lord, you're so good, so ready to forgive, so full of unfailing love for all who ask for your help. Listen closely to my prayer, O Lord. Hear my urgent cry. I will call to you whenever I'm in trouble, and you will answer me. No pagan God is like you, O Lord. None can do what you do. All the nations you made will come and bow before you, Lord. They will praise your holy name, for you are great and perform wonderful deeds. Stop right there. The Hebrew word for wonderful deeds, the the word is impossibilities. You are the one who does impossibilities. I love it. You alone are God. Verse 11, pay attention. Teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may live according to your truth. Grant me purity of heart so that I may honor you. With all my heart I will praise you, O Lord my God. I will give glory to your name forever. For your love for me is very great. You've rescued me from the depths of death. Oh God, insolent people rise up against me. A violent gang is trying to kill me. You mean nothing to them, but you, O Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy Slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Look down and have mercy on me. Give your strength to your servant. Save me, the son of your servant. Send me a sign of your favor. Then those who hate me will be put to shame. For you, O Lord, help and comfort me. 
Oh, that's so good. Take your seats. That's so good. What a prayer. What a prayer. Is that like one of your prayers? Is, is that like one of yours? I, I don't know. Our tendency is to look at Scripture and say, well, no, I mean, I, I can't pray anything like this. But, but honestly, when I look closely, there's some things that my prayers have in common. First off, Psalm 86 is a psalm. It's a prayer of David. It has about 17 verses, as you notice in the New Living Translation. But out of 17 verses, there are about 14 or 15 requests. Now, that sounds like one of my prayers. I do a whole lot of asking, a, a lot of asking. You can go down yourself and underline every time the psalmist in his prayer asks God for something. And out of 17 verses, it's 14 or 15 requests. I mean, there's just a whole lot of me in this. Save me, help me, comfort me. There's a lot of asking. And honestly, the scripture says, ask, ask. God has everything. I have nothing. I, I, I have to ask. And the scripture says you don't have because you don't ask. Honestly, asking is a good way to pray. When you're talking to God, I'm telling you, you are at once in the presence of the one who can give you what you need. Ask. Ask boldly. Ask. Just ask. And the psalmist does a lot of asking. He's not asking for an iPhone or he's not asking for anything perhaps that we ask for, but he didn't live in our culture. In our culture, we're very, very material, and we think materially. He, he does a lot of asking. He does some complaining. He gets around to the people in his life, the insolent people who hate him, and I'm not so sure he doesn't hate them right back. He's sort of hoping God will take care of him. He does some asking, a whole lot of asking, and a little bit of complaining. Honestly, that, that sounds like my prayers. One of the things that's amazing, though, is the way he praises God. If we could learn to praise God like this in our prayers, things begin to change. Because honestly, if you continue to ask, that sort of keeps the focus on yourself. When I'm asking, I'm thinking about me and what I need. But truly, if I could shift that focus to God, to his greatness, to his glory, if I could learn to really understand the God I'm praying to, then honestly, that's where I begin to grow in my praying. Maybe it's the praising that sets them apart. I love the verse, verse 10. You are great and perform impossibilities. Now that's good. You are great and you perform impossibilities. Do you pray as if you are dealing with the God who performs impossibilities? Do you pray like that? Because something tells me if you really had that kind of faith, if you really truly believe that you are talking to a God who does impossibilities, you'd pray differently. There's, a, there's an old story about Arnold Palmer, the, the golfer, who was invited to do a series of exhibition golf um, what do you call them? Uh, I'm not a golf guy. I'm really out on a limb here. Are they matches, golf, games, a series of exhibition golf what? Rick? Matches. Okay, he was going to do a series of exhibition golf matches for the king of Saudi Arabia, whoever that is, King Fahud, uh, King Abdullah, one of those kings. And, and honestly, uh, the king, there really isn't a lot of golf in Saudi Arabia, and so the king was absolutely amazed at Arnold Palmer. And at the end of the series, the exhibition, the king said to Arnold Palmer, I would love to give you a gift. What can I give you? Arnold Palmer said, 
your majesty, honestly, it's just an honor to be asked. It's, it's absolutely a thrill to be invited to play in this way. I am simply pleased that you would have me. I, I, I really don't want to accept a gift from you. The king said, I will feel insulted if you do not allow me to give you something. I want to give you a gift. Now, you understand who Arnold Palmer is talking to? King or whatever his name is. He's like one of the richest guys in the whole world. This man has all of the oil, all of the money. This is the man who can give you anything. And he's saying, I want to give you something. What do you want? And Palmer says, nothing. I don't need nothing. The king says, you offend me if you don't allow me to give you. So finally the golfer said, okay, uh, okay. Just give me a little something that I can remember this whole trip by. Why don't you give me a golf club? Just give me a golf club. A golf club? Did he get hit in the head with a golf club? You're talking to the king of Saudi Arabia here. He could give you anything. He's saying, I I want to give you something great. And you ask for it. A golf club? Do you understand? This is exactly how we come to God in in prayer. We come in and and we're praying prayers that, that are just itty bitty prayers. We don't understand the God we're talking to. We don't understand the power, the majesty, the glory of the God we're dealing with. We are absolutely clueless and it's mostly because we think about ourselves. When we pray, it's a very, very small prayer because honestly our prayers are coming from very, very small people, you and me. We think small, we live small, but we are praying to a great God, a God who does impossibilities, friends, impossibilities. Maybe it's the way he praises in his prayers that that, that sets him apart. Scholars who study Psalm 86 will often refer to the fact that in this prayer, there's actually a a prayer within the prayer. If you zero in, there's a prayer inside the prayer. And honestly, when you get to the prayer inside the prayer, you get to the good stuff. I remind you, there's a lot of asking, there's a lot of asking for a lot of things, and there's a lot of praising, and praising is always good, but, but it gets down to the... To the 15 words out of all of the words that that really turn out to be a prayer of power, a, a real, a real prayer. I guess that's probably on my best days true of me too. For all of my wordy prayers, for all of my blathering on before God, I would say that if I speak 5,000 words to God in a month's time, there probably aren't 50 of them that manage to be the, the prayer inside the prayer where I managed to, to really connect and I managed to really ask for what, what I ought to ask for. It, it's the prayer inside the, the prayer. Understanding God's ability to hear and answer prayers is, is way beyond our ability to pray. And God is always able to hear that prayer inside the prayer. And, and the prayer inside the prayer is verse 11. It's the prayer inside the prayer. And notice at this point, what he asks for, and how he prays. Teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may live according to your truth. Grant me purity of heart so that I may honor you. Well, now you're praying. Now you're praying. For all of the other complaining and and asking now, You're praying. It's the prayer inside the prayer. Teach me your 
ways. Honestly, for all of your praying, if you really want to get down to it, this needs to be the prayer inside your prayers. I'm not saying this is all you say, you memorize this verse and keep going back to God with it. It's probably a good place to start. I'm just simply saying that that somehow in the middle of your heart, in the midst of all of your praying, this needs to sort of become the the center, the the prayer inside your, your prayers. Teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may live according to your truth. Let's start with the first part. Teach me your ways, O Lord. One of the most important things for us ever to receive from God is understanding. I'm talking about our lives as Christians. If you're not a Christian, your greatest need from God is salvation. You must call upon the name of the Lord in a prayer and so be saved. Salvation is your greatest need. And that also begins in a conversation, in an opening of your heart to the Lord. Salvation is your greatest need. But once you have become a believer, once you have allowed the Lord to begin a saving work in your life, then the greatest need for you from then on is understanding. Teach me. You understand? In prayer, the psalmist is asking that actually God be his teacher, that in the course of praying, he learns something. And in your praying life, in my praying life, there should be a transformation happening, not in one single prayer. I'm talking about in a lifetime of prayer. Over time, it's not so much that prayer changes things as the bumper sticker says. I'm not sure prayer changes things, but I can tell you one thing, prayer changes me. Prayer changes me. And the psalmist says, Lord, teach me. In the process of my praying, as I talk and as I listen to you, Help me understand some things. Teach me some things. And what he needs to understand is God's ways. Lord, I need to understand your ways. And truly, it is your greatest need, my greatest need. I need to understand God's ways. I need to understand God's ways with with God's world. I just want to understand what God is doing and how God somehow deals with all of these prayers and how prayers work. I want to understand God's ways. I mean, prayer itself is so absolutely mind-boggling when you stop to think about it. Just stop the prayers in this house this morning, and I know you're praying. We've got young people praying that the weather will be beautiful and that it will never rain. Why are they praying for no rain? Because it's summer, and they intend on being at the pool every single waking moment. They want to go to the beach, they want to go to the pool, they want to ride their bikes, they don't want rain. So every kid in America is praying for dry weather, while every farmer in America is praying for rain. Yeah, on the very same pew that you're sitting on, you got people praying for rain, and you got people praying for dry weather. What's God going to do? How does it even work? Because if you stop and think about all of the prayers, how many ways and how many times our prayers actually contradict each other. How's God going to answer all those prayers? How does it even work? Because honestly, it's not just that my prayer contradicts your prayer. My prayer contradicts my prayer. I don't really understand how God hears and how God answers except for this one thing I know. God hears and answers prayer with perfect love. Perfect love. Wisdom. God's ability to hear and answer prayers is perfect. Absolutely perfect. We've got to learn to understand his ways. 
If you look at the broad movements of Scripture, honestly, there are several sort of big categories, big ways that we know that God works in the world. And if he's working in the world in those big ways, then he's doing the very same thing in my life and your life. So let's stop and think about it. When you open your Bible and you start in Genesis, the very first way that you see that God works in the world is creating. God is a God who creates things. God is a God, the book of Genesis shows us, God is a God who is able to make beautiful things out of dust. Are you listening? God makes beautiful things, awesome things, things that never existed. He brings them into being. He can speak them into existence. He can bring it out of dust. God's a creator God, always making things new, making things that are as if they never were. You understand? He just speaks things into existence, and he's still doing that. He's doing that in your life. He's doing that in my life. He's doing that in our church. He's doing that in our nation. God makes beautiful things out of dust. He creates so honestly, in your life right now, it's very important in your prayers to ask God to give you some understanding about what he's trying to make new in you. What is he creating? What new things is he trying to bring into your life, into your family, into relationships, into your work, into your school? God's a God of new things. Problem is, we don't like new things very much. We think we do, but we don't. We like familiar things. We like to get in a rut and live our lives in a rut. We don't like surprises because we're insecure. We like to feel like we know what to expect. We like to feel like we know exactly what's going to happen. We like that kind of control. If God's always bringing new things into your life, guess what? You don't get to be in control because you don't know what he's going to do today. You don't know how he'll surprise you today. You need to understand that God's a creator, that God's creating still. He's doing new things in your life. You've got to understand that so that you begin to realize what things in your life you need to let go of. You need to understand what things in your life you need to eradicate to make room for the new things God's bringing in. God's creating. It's one of the things he's doing, always doing. He's doing it in your life right now. What new things is you trying to create out of the dust of your life? Scripture also says that God is, is a redeemer. He's always redeeming. In other words, in our lives, in the dust of our lives, a lot of things are broken. A lot of things are wrong that really seriously need to be made right. And only God can do that. There are things in this world that are currently out of harmony with God and his ways and his love. And God is always at work redeeming the world. Bringing things back into fellowship, back into alignment with his purposes, back into alignment with his goodness. God is a redeemer. He fixes broken things. He makes wrong things right. Do you understand? And in your life right now, God is a redeemer. He wants to come into your life right now, and there are wrong things that he wants to make right. And when you pray, as you begin to send all of your requests up to God, understand you're praying to a redeemer God. A God who takes wrong things and makes them right. A God who takes broken things and makes them whole. He wants to do that in your life right now, in our church, in our nation. God is a God who redeems things. He redeems things. So in your prayer life right now, you need an understanding about what things in your life need to be repaired. 
What things in your life need to be salvaged, need to be brought back into fellowship, into harmony with God's will and God's ways. God is a redeemer God. You're praying to a God who will not tolerate anything wrong. He will transform it and make it right. There are wrong things in your life that he's making right. If you don't understand the things in your life that have to be repaired, that have to be redeemed, then you're never really going to understand why God does what he does. He's a redeemer. Scripture also says that God is always up to this great big thing we would call sanctifying, or, or you could call it glorification. And this is way beyond us, and it's the part of what God does that's hardest for us to relate to because it's got to do with the future. It's got to do with the world as God sees it, the world as God intends it. It's got to do with your life as God's going to make it to be. In other words, God is a God who's always transforming us to make us like him. So every circumstance of my life, every prayer that I pray, God is going to answer those prayers based on his larger purpose to change me to be like him. And that's a good thing. It's the reason I was created to reflect his holiness, to reflect his glory. And so in my life, God is always looking for opportunities to bring glory to himself. Now, some of you listen to that phrase, glory to himself, you're thinking, well, that sounds kind of egotistical. That sounds like God's just focused on himself and always wants to shine the light on himself. And, and that sounds a little crazy. That sounds like God's just stuck on himself. No, you're missing the whole point. You're missing the whole point. God is glorious. He, he is glorious. And the only way that we can know him is in his glory. It's the only way that we can know him got people in the world who say they don't know God, they don't see God, they've never heard his voice, they don't believe in God. You understand, the only way they'll ever come to know him is to see something of his glory. He is glorious. You can't know him outside of glory. So when God wants to reveal his glory to the world, that's just not so that he can have an ego trip, that's so that the world may know him. So that you can know him and understand him, you need to see his glory. You need to understand his power. In your life of praying, understand, you really need to know that sometimes God's greatest purpose for you is to change you to be more like him. That means sometimes when you would rather pray for an easy day, God's going to give you a difficult day. Why? So you learn patience, so that you learn that God himself is able to sustain you through every kind of day. When you would really rather have strength and power, God may sometimes ask you to live for a time in weakness. Why? So that you can know that in your weakness, he is strong. You understand? Do you understand? Because honestly, my greatest need... It's to try to understand what he's doing in the world, what he's doing in my life. That's why the prayer in the prayer says, teach me your ways. Help me understand what you do and, and, and how you do it. I, I need to know your ways that I may live according to your truth. Do you understand what he just prayed? I want to know your ways so that I know how to live. Now that's a very different goal in praying, but I would argue it's the best goal in praying. 
understand, he doesn't say, teach me your ways. I want to understand what you're doing so I can try to talk you into doing something else. And honestly, that's how many of us pray. We don't pray, God, show me what you're doing in this situation so that I know how to live in this situation. That's not how we pray, is it? We ask God to change situations. We rarely ask God to change us. But notice that the goal of this prayer really becomes personal transformation. I want to understand your ways because I want to learn how to live according to your truth. This is what prayer does. Do you understand this? This is what prayer does. Prayer isn't about you're getting what you want. Prayer is about finding out and then giving God what he wants. Are you listening to me? It's not about getting what you want. It's about giving God what he wants because I promise you, I promise you what God wants is truly what you want. You just don't know it yet. You just don't understand that. What God wants is best. What God wants is glorious. I promise you, if you could see what he sees, you'd be wanting exactly what he wants. That's why you pray for God to open your eyes to teach you. You need to understand what God wants, what God is doing, so you can change your life according to his truth. One of my uh, favorite things in all the world is, is dessert, like a lot of you. And our family is just three of us, my wife, uh, our son Wade, and, and myself. I do most of the cooking in our family. I do almost all the grocery shopping. I'm not bragging. It's just, uh, it's just how it is. Nothing to brag about. Is it? Uh, and so, actually, we sit down to supper most nights, and it's a supper that, that I've cooked and a supper that I've planned. And I really enjoy that. I really, really enjoy providing for my family. And I really love, I just love to delight them. I really do. So I'll cook supper, we'll eat supper, and then supper's always in our house followed by some kind of dessert. But I don't always let them know what dessert is. It's kind of like something I like to pop out with, you understand? I don't always have dessert out. It's just sort of you don't know until the meal is over, and that's just how it works in my family. So sometimes Casey will hop up and go get some dessert. God help her. Casey just isn't really a dessert person. If somebody's getting up to go get your dessert, just pray it's not Casey. Because Casey will disappear, and Casey will come back, and she'll like have everybody like one graham cracker. You know, a graham cracker, honey, I love you. Graham cracker, just a graham cracker. And like in Casey's world, a graham cracker is awesome. Casey can take a graham cracker and have a party. She just can't. Casey can break it in half and eat half of it and save the other half for later. She's just having a big old party with a graham cracker. Yeah. And I just love that because that's just Casey. Casey go in and she gets a graham cracker or wages. She'll so bring us like, you know, a handful of raisins. <laughs> handful of raisins, you know. And, and, or, or even better. <laughs> Casey, Casey will go and bring us back like chocolate chips. Chocolate chips. If it's a really special night, you should put the chocolate chips on a graham cracker in a microwave. Yeah. I love my wife. I love my wife. And actually, I love when she does that because it will give me the opportunity to say, you know, y'all can have your graham cracker. But I got little Debbie's in the pantry. I got Swiss cake rolls in the pantry. Y'all can have your chocolate chips, but I made brownies. Yeah, or even better, I'll let Casey start eating her chocolate chips, and I'll disappear, and I will come out with the Swiss cake roll and kind of unroll it with my tongue and eat it real slow, you know. So the really funny thing is now, in our house, our son has learned to say, when, when Casey says, what's for dessert, Wade will say, I'm having what dad's having. <laughs> <laughs> 
Isn't that funny? Because Wade knows that sometimes I will make us moo pies. I know what a moo pie is. They're from Cheney's Dairy Barn. You take a black skillet and you cook a gigantic chocolate chip cookie in the bottom of a black skillet. And then you pile vanilla ice cream on top and chocolate syrup. And then everybody in the family gets a spoon and you go at it. Yeah, you see? We can sit around this table and eat graham crackers. Or we could be having a moo pie. Wade says, I'm having what dad's having. Before he knows what dad is having, he just knows that whatever dad's having is going to be good. It's going to be good. Do you understand? In your prayer life, you're asking for graham crackers. Do you understand that? Whatever it is in your life that you think you want with such passion and desperation, whatever it is you're praying for and you are so sure that you know what is best, and that's why when you're praying, you just ask and ask. It's more like telling. You just tell God over and over and over what he's got to do for you because you are so convinced that you know what you want. You are so convinced that you know best, and that's why in your prayer life you never grow. You, you never achieve anything in prayer because you haven't learned yet just to trust the Father. Father, I promise you, whatever he wants, that's what you want. You've just got to learn that. you just got to learn that if he doesn't give you what you're asking for, it's only because he's got something better. You can go through life munching on your chocolate chips, or you can just wait for God to deliver you a house made out of chocolate. Do you understand? What God has in store for you is way beyond what you can imagine. So anytime you pray, you just need to say, God, I want you to teach me your way so that I can learn to live according to your truth. I don't want the life that I plan for myself. I want the life you plan for me. I don't know what it is, but I know it's better. I just know it's better. So not my will, but thine be done, Lord. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Do you understand? Now you're praying. Do you understand? Now you're praying. They say, the king of Saudi Arabia said to Arnold Palmer, I want to give you a gift. I want to give you something. Well, what would you like? Your highness, nothing. Honestly, just to be invited is, is gift enough. I, I'm just honored to be here. And the king said, no, you offend me by not asking for something. So Arnold Palmer said, okay, I'll, a golf club. Just give me a golf club so I can remember this whole trip. A few days later, Arnold Palmer received a, a package with, with documents and keys. The king gave him a golf club. A golf club. <laughs> Do you understand? A thousand acres with several lakes and a clubhouse, and everything. He gave him a golf club. When you are talking to the king, don't waste time with small requests. Do you understand? Don't waste time with asking for small things. We're talking to a God who does impossibilities. What he can do for you, you don't even imagine. So when you pray, just pray, God, 
Help me understand your ways so that I can adjust my life accordingly. Help me understand what you're doing so, so that I can know what to do. I know that in your prayer you say a lot of things. So do I. I ask for a lot. I complain a lot. I whine a lot. I try to do some praising. But, but I sure hope that the prayer within all of my prayers is, is that simple one. Lord, teach me your ways so that I may live according to your truth. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, in Scripture, it is never said that prayers become more effective if they're longer. Nowhere does it say that that prayers are more effective when the words are poetic and flowery. Nowhere does it say that prayers are more effective if we pile up prayer upon prayer upon prayer and, and engage more and more and more people to pray for the same thing. Lord, it doesn't say anywhere that prayers are more effective just because we have a whole lot of people praying the same thing. It never says that. Lord, what the word says is that fervent prayer is effective. Passionate prayer, prayer from the heart. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would learn to pray from our hearts. Lord, I ask that we would learn to pray with passion and fervency. Lord, truly we do a lot of asking and sometimes we even imagine that we have a pretty good idea of what we need and how our lives should go. But Lord, we just want to say right now that in our praying life, please don't just give us what we ask for. Oh, Lord God, please have mercy upon us. Don't take dictation from us. Oh, Lord God, hear our prayers, and that by your goodness and greatness and by your mercy, answer our prayers according to your perfect love for us and your amazing desire to delight us and surprise us and have us stand slack-jawed before the greatness of your blessings. God, please, please don't give me what I ask for because I want for myself only and everything what you want for me. Teach us your ways, O Lord that we might live according to your truth. We pray these things in the name of the one who is truth, the name of Jesus. Amen. Stand. Let's sing. Make your singing a prayer. The altar's open if you wish to come forward to pray. If you can't pray and sing at the same time, don't sing. Pray. Talk to the Lord. Listen for his voice. Don't leave this place without having made contact with the God who intends to bless you. Let's sing together. Brother Andrew, please. Let's sing together in just a second. First, I want to give you the chance to respond just between you and God. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I do want you to close your eyes because I want you to listen to what God has to say to you today. And then we'll sing together. Worship Him, oh, worship Him, 
down before your Lord enter in oh enter in consuming fire and sweet perfume his awesome presence fills this room this is holy ground so come and bow down every knee shall bow before his throne every knee shall bow before his throne one who was and is to come the lamb of god the holy one glorify glorify the lord glorify glorify the lord scripture reminds us when Christ comes back, everyone will know the truth. Every knee shall bow before his throne. Every knee shall bow before his throne. The one who was and is to come, the Lamb of God, the Holy One. Glorify, glorify the Lord. All the earth bows down. All the earth sings praise to you. All the earth bows down. And sings praise to your name. Respond how God is leading you. Praise to your name, Lord. Praise to your name, Lord. All the earth bows down. sings praise to your name the earth bows down and sings praise to your name let's sing together as the deer panteth for the water please join me as we sing as the deer panteth for the water you'll find it in the the sheet in your bulletin. As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship. 
heart's desire and I long to worship you. Amen. You may take your seats. God bless you. Thank you for being a part of worship this morning. Uh, I promise you, Woodburn Baptist Church, we love you. We want to welcome you. And if you are a guest, I hope you'll take an opportunity.